I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eherenownetwork.com forward slash David. So this is a podcast interview with Michael Maisel. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the business body. And now you're also, we're here in Costa Rica, and Michael is also a partner, correct, in Blue Spirit? Yeah. Which is a holistic learning center. He's partners with Stefan Reichshoffen, who's another contributor to this Manifestors uh, podcast. So um, he was the creator. Stefan was the creator, and Michael has been a, a partner in that enterprise, and as well as quite a few other things that he's been able to uh, support, which are in the, you know, some of which are in the holistic sort of quote unquote spiritual arena. Um, and um, so, Michael is clearly somebody who has this combination that we're sort of looking at about kind of healthy lifestyle, holistic uh, practice himself, a practitioner himself, and also somebody who is sort of uh, decoded the business um, Venn diagram to the point of making it completely manageable and, and actually in a way he uh, got his he has a black belt in Shotokan karate, but he also has a black belt in sort of entrepreneurial ventures, which is what a lot of the people, Michael, who are listening are sort of trying to crack this code. They're trying to understand what's the, what are the rules? What are the principles? So in particular, one chapter, which I sort of wanted to kind of a, a little, you know, we can ramble a little bit, but focus in on is there's a chapter in my book, um, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck book, which is attached to this podcast is called the business body. And I use the metaphor of, of the physical body as the different aspects of business. So I just want to just lay that out there and then you can you know run with it, run around it, 
<laughs> run onto it, try, tread on it as you wish. So we use the body as a metaphor for the different elements of, of business that need to be synchronized for the thing to, to be successful. And probably a certain number of people who are trying entrepreneurial ventures or even just participating in a business go, oh, okay, we didn't really cover that part of it. We didn't really, we're not taking care of that properly. So the legs are the foundation. And I use, don't worry about left or right, but I use one leg as the, um, the idea of a business has to have some kind of uh, creative source in terms of exploring something. Um, you know, we call this basically in the corporate world R&D, research and development. Um, you know, for a, for a songwriter, that's like you have to kind of like listen to music. You have to kind of um, find out what's going on on the radio. You have to hear what other people are doing. And so you're doing your creative research. Then the other leg is beginning to fashion whatever you come up with as some kind of product. So product development. Um, you know, you might have, I'm using music because that's, that's familiar to me. You might have a hundred songs that you created now, but that's not a product. Right? So you have to now, you have to know a CD is 74 minutes long, probably 12, 13 songs, and you have to fashion into a medium that's going to be something you can present. And actually, if you're entering business with it, set a price point, you know, understand elements of distribution, that whole, that whole thing is the other leg. Then the arms, one arm I'm saying is, uh, let's say the left arm is marketing. You have to spread out. It's throwing out. How did those people know, you know, for, for three of them to be buying it every, you know, every three seconds, somebody's buying it. They have to know about it. So somehow marketing is the part where you're disseminating the information that this product exists. And then the other arm is sales, where you're actually collecting the money. <laughs> and a lot of people don't kind of get that part of it. And some people get it really, really well, that that's going to that's gonna be the engine of the business, really. If, if you're not making sales, you're, you know, the whole body is going to, you're not going to eat. You're not going to be able to feed the family at all. Yeah, the whole thing just falls apart. Yeah, it's just, sales is a key one. Yeah, absolutely. So let me finish, and then we'll step through them. And I want to just, of course, hear from you. I'm just trying to lay a groundwork. So the heart is um, the part where what's the core of the business? You know, what's the heart of it? What's really why are you doing it? What's, what's the vision of it? What's the, um, the, what's the connection to it? What's the essence of it? You know? um, and then um, the head, which I think is as businesses grow, and I know you're very good at this, the head is the administration. How do you synchronize? Because your head is telling your left leg what to do and your right leg what to do and your, left arm and your right arm and your heart. It's really sort of organizing the balance between those elements. So I'm calling that administration, you know, element, um, COO, that kind of thing. And then I just added the ears for, for a laugh for customer service. If you're not, <laughs> if you're not listening to your customers, you know, you're going to start to skew off from where they are and, and, and where you're going. Yeah. All too often individuals fail or businesses fails because people think they know better. Mm -hmm. Than their customers mm, and their ego takes over and they just you know are just hell-bent on following through what they yeah. necessarily believe yeah and sometimes has nothing to do with their customers their target audience so if that framework makes sense you just wrap on a little bit about okay. it yeah okay so having kind of set that foundation how about if we walk through each one of those things and 
you can just give us your uh, take on it or any any you can jam on it any way you want to okay and okay and we can talk about it so so um i'll, I'll leave it up to you do you want to start with the heart or with the r d um well i think the basis for any business of course is the idea okay it's um it's something that you feel can that other people um would benefit from and it can be something as simple as a product that's needed in the market that you are frustrated with something yourself mm -hmm. you're in some feeling you're saying damn i wish i had you know greg Lowe, Lopro, who was really the founder of, of uh, our company and our idea uh, he was a uh, brilliant cinematographer um, and he was a professional cinematographer and the camera bags that were on the market at that time did not serve his purpose. So he created a bag that would protect his equipment as he's climbing mountains and so on. Mm -hmm. So he saw a need through his own usage, through his own frustration. Mm -hmm. And he thought, okay, how can I not only fulfill that for myself, but there must be others in this particular situation. Okay. And that can apply right across the board with anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first thing you have to do, I feel, is have an idea that's workable, mm. that is needed, ah. that can actually develop into something. So does it have to meet an existing, because I, 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 I differentiate between meeting an existing market niche, which was like the example I use is, you know, building a, a better mousetrap. People know what a mousetrap is already. Uh, here's a good one. I mean, that's a cliche. The other one is creating a product that people don't know they need yet, like a, a personal computer sure. or hip hop. I used hip hop as an example. What's hip hop? Uh, at first, nobody knows what it is and nobody's convinced they need it. Now, later on in the cycle, somebody goes, oh, I got a new hip hop artist. And everybody goes, well, we're just looking to fulfill the market niche. So, so are you saying that it's um, got to meet an existing market niche? Or I think it can be both. Either. It, yeah, okay. sure. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs uh, didn't, he just heaven knows how he downloaded right. you know a need no it can be it can certainly be both and um so you have to have a foundation speak about your legs the foundation has to be an idea that you can truly truly build upon an idea that has potential and depending upon how far you want to go with it if it's something that you think has unlimited potential great all the better um and there it has to be solid it has to be something that um, is truly legitimate, not just pie in the sky mm -hmm. idea mm -hmm. that really has no, you know, understanding. We all have those thoughts and ideas when we've either gotten high or had a little bit too much to drink, and we envision <laughs> we have the idea that the rest of the world wants. Or when I'm in the shower. <laughs> or in the shower, yeah. and then you would dry yourself off right. or wake up the next morning and say, well, as I think. Mm. Or, if you're deluded, you can just carry it through and waste a lot of time. And your money. And, and money and other people's, people's money. money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you, you know, you have to have an idea, I think, that's, that's workable, it's feasible. And uh, not a bad idea to run it by people you trust. There you go. That's interesting. And people that you have respect for. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully you'll find them. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have a group of people who are receptive and will take something in and look at it objectively, not give me feedback to either what I want to hear 
mm-hmm. or won't take the idea and give me partial feedback and then take it themselves and run. Mm-hmm. Um, so that foundation, your, you know, your legs, using the analogy of the body, mm-hmm. the legs has to be very, very solid. Mm. And the knees have to be strong enough to be able to support the weight of what you're going to put on it and the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the foundation, honestly, for any successful venture comes from the heart. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think it's a balance of heart and head, which of course we know in spirituality is a very fortunate thing. And it's something that um, many of us are trying to develop if we walk through life, if we're deciding to live in the West, Mm -hmm. to have a good balance between head and heart is really strong. Qigong, middle Dantian, upper Dantian. Mm -hmm. You actually want a balance between the upper intellect, Mm -hmm. middle, heart, emotions, and lower Dantian, the power, you want those things to all be working in sync. And that way you can move forward with as least obstruction as possible from yourself. And just to mention to everybody, while on the topic, not only is Michael kind of black belt in the business, I mentioned you have a black belt in, in Shotokan Karate, you're a Qigong student and teacher, and you're a pretty high level tennis coach. So the analogy of the body is, you, is probably an easy point for you to access in terms of talking about wisdom, balance, sanity, intelligence, right? You're, you're somebody who's, you know, not, not just floating above your body, but sort of pretty regularly dipping out and actually being in it, which is part of what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's actually one other area um, that I believe can contribute to, to success, and that is to be diversified in your activities or your interests. You want to bring as much to the table as possible. And there's a ton of input from around the world. And the lessons that I learned, for example, in martial arts, I've been involved in martial arts since I was 12 or 13 years old in one form or another. The lessons that I learn about others, about myself, how far can I push myself? Mm-hmm. It was really fascinating, the black belt test, how it was a four hour test. And the you know, senseis just push you to your limit. Mm. Not for them as much, I don't believe, to see how far you can go and do you deserve this, although that was probably an element. But I think the wisdom behind that is you see within yourself, mm. how far can I go? At what point can I push myself before I know I'm going to injure myself? Mm. Or it's just where you break. And that's a good analogy for being an entrepreneur, right? It's a great analogy yeah. because you have to be prepared to get beaten up. Mm. On the way, you have to get prepared to get beaten up by people that'll, that might tell you, no, that won't fly, or um, yeah, it's certainly going to fail, or people that will try and, even without knowing it, just try and take the idea and the business and take it off the rails. So you have to have enough confidence in yourself from the input that you get from certainly yourself and others, uh, the ones that you're getting guidance for and you trust, that you can follow it through. Mm-hmm. So back to the heart, you know, heart and, and head. I really, I really feel that how you approach life can contribute to the success or failure of any idea of any business. I think that if you are totally self-centered and only self-centered, mm-hmm. um, there's a good chance that things, at least in my world, uh, can fail. Mm-hmm. I think that if you take on the attitude of win, 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 if you approach a business, if you approach an idea with 
how many people can I bring along with me that can succeed? Mm. Um, it's a great recipe. Wow. My, my brilliant business partner, Uva, um, and it's okay to say his full name here. Just yeah. Uva Mamashoff. I owe the world to him. I really do. Yeah. Okay. He, uh, he's one of the most brilliant business people and that I know. Wow. And, and he was um, your partner in GoPro. He was my, my, uh, my partner in low pro. Low pro, excuse me. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and we were partners for about 24 years and it was an extraordinary partnership. Mm -hmm. um, Can you say his full name? Just so sure. Uwe Mamenhoff. Mamenhoff. Okay. Yeah. And he was successful before okay. we came in and he started the company and I joined in three years later. Wow. Yeah. And uh, when he, uh, his former partner, they were not getting along and he uh, saw that this was going nowhere with him. Mm -hmm. So he took the step of initiating a breakup and uh, he wanted partnership. So um, we were. Ended up being a great compliment mm -hmm. to each other. You don't mind if I meander a little bit? No, this is a, it's a podcast. That's what we do. That's what you do. Yeah. Um, I think one of the key elements also is also understand, do you want to go this solo or do you want to do it with a partner? Key salient point. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth talking about for a minute. Sure. What's the difference? Um, I think partnership for myself, I think it's a lot more fun. Mm. To be, um, to have a goal with someone else that you obviously like and respect. And that's also a key. Yeah. Grab onto someone or get into partnership with someone that you really want to spend time with. They say that uh, a business is like a marriage and it's true. And also recognize, am I the type that can be in partnership? Yeah. Will I take feedback from another or will I take everything personally? Mm -hmm. Do I want to hear another person's opinion? <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis if you don't go yeah. it solo yeah um also there's wisdom to know if you can if you need to be the guy or the woman right or can you be the second person now in the partnership are you they come in all forms you have uh, equal partnerships whereby you each assume total responsibility for something right they have to complement each other they cannot mm -hmm. I don't feel they can conflict at all. Mm -hmm. They can't cross over. So one person can handle sales and marketing, the other administration, oh. R&D, right. however you want to break it down. When you play tennis, do you prefer singles or doubles? A great question. I love them both. <laughs> I know it's okay. not what you're necessarily looking for. Yeah. Well, I like the challenge of both, but I must say that in doubles, I love it because I find it much more fun. Okay. And, um, uh, and yeah, a great question. Yeah. And it's, it's actually a good thing to ask yourself if you're a tennis player, do I prefer singles or doubles? It's such a great point, Michael, because we're really addressing these uh, podcasts in the book towards people who are aspiring in some way to manifest some of the things like that somebody like you, for example, has manifested. They may have an idea. They may be wondering how to do it in a sane and grounded way. They may want to wonder if their creativity can become their livelihood. You mm -hmm. know, this is who the, the book is targeted for. And all the while, you know, while you're learning business skills to not have to become divorced from some kind of basic holistic approach towards living that you have a healthy life and a good good life and you're just a total example of that so well thank you yeah. um, and i totally agree with you a balanced life really is key mm. i think off the mat off, off the, the mat. court absolutely you because go home at night and you you sleep well you eat well you you're not like a workaholic or an insane person no no um that's tricky that's hard well, it is hard because you have so much at stake. Yeah. At the same time, if you have a healthy relationship and partnership that is outside of business, uh -huh. 
um, and if you have outside interests, I think they can contribute. I think that even if you get within yourself a lot of input, that input can come from a number of different places. As, as I said, um, when I was doing the black belt test, I, I felt I was absolute, I was so totally spent physically by the end. And it was the only time I've said something like this to myself. I said, man, I deserve this black belt. <laughs> I was just so beaten up. But at the same time, right. you know, and again, I'm not a big physical person. Right. But when I, you know, when yeah. you're, you have four black belts in front of you, they have to fight one after the other. And they come in all various shapes and sizes and abilities. And you get hit and you go right back after them. It shows something about yourself. So you, just again, using this as an analogy for the business dimension is, do you have the same feeling about when you sold your business, right? You sold your interest in this business and, and just kind of went into a different phase of your life, right? You don't, you don't still have um, low no, pro, right? No part of it at all. And so you can't, you did an exit strategy, which is something we also talk about in the book is like, how are you going to get out of this or ever, if ever, and that you have some idea about that even early on in the game that you know that there's going to be an end game scenario that's going to play into your advantage rather than just walking away from something. Yeah, it's a very smart thing to do. And speaking of exit strategy, I just want to mention something about partnership. You never go into partnership to make for with the idea that the partnership will fail. But when you do go into partnership, A, you must have a partnership agreement. Listen up, everybody. You must have a partnership agreement and you must work with a lawyer who you trust and who has great experience in this. Don't work with your cousin's friend who knows this great lawyer <laughs> who's really inexpensive <laughs> and doesn't have the experience in it because there's lawyers that have just seen it all. Right. And what you have to do, I feel, is get a partnership agreement that really asks the question, what if? Okay. What if A, we don't get along? Yeah. B, what happens if someone dies? Wow. Right? Because if you don't have a partnership agreement, all of a sudden, you're yeah. in business with that person's family or that person's right. estate. Right. And I don't think that's why you went into business. <laughs> so you have to have an exit strategy. And I think the smartest things are looking at all the what if scenarios. Mm. What if my partner dies? Well, the most logical thing is, yes, their estate has a right. Right. I, I always, you know, in the several partnership agreements that I've worked with, and right. I usually ask to assume responsibility mm -hmm. of creating mm -hmm. with a lawyer, is I will necessarily say, that that individual's estate must sell it to me or must give me the first, first option. option. Yeah, first yeah. right of refusal to buy it. Yeah. And a lot of people won't be thinking about this when they're starting a business, right? No, of course not. Because, yeah. you know, it's a prenup, it's a business prenup. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so what happens if, um, uh, what happens if one of you want out at the same time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you can do a shotgun clause, mm -hmm. which assures a fair price offering. Mm -hmm. Shotgun clause being, if we're in partnership and I want to buy, I want to sell or yeah. I want to buy you out, I have to, if I want to buy you out, I will put forward a price yeah. that you can then say, okay, I'll sell you my shares at that. Or you can turn around and say, you know what? I'll buy your shares for that price. Mm -hmm. And that guarantees that I will offer a fair price for your shares. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there'll be some pre-discussion about really, do you want to stay in? Do you want to stay out? Right. And so on. But a partnership agreement is absolute key. Yeah. So coming back to the body, yes, we started with the, uh, well, you went to the heart of the matter. So let's say we've covered that topic. The business needs a heart. You need to have a vision. And you connected it up very much with the idea. You have to be, and I think that's one of the slogans in the book, 
is to create something like this, you need to be aware of the needs of others. Absolutely. And so you've already sort of tapped that that notion. If you're going into business, you have to have some awareness of the of the marketplace and what other people need or might need potentially. But but if you're just in, into just a dream of your own kind of, uh, you very quickly realize that you're out of sync with with the rest of the world and, and and not have the results you wish for. So so let's look at the other two the two legs. So that's. Um, in your case, there wasn't a lot of R and D involved, or was there R and D? Well, involved? there was. It's the thing with mm-hmm. with Low Pro. There was a ton of R and D involved, okay. which gets into the legs. Being, you know, they say that uh, uh, sitting is the next is the new smoking. <laughs> so if you're not moving, if you're not moving a business right. forward, walking right. it, running it right. forward, you're going to stagnate. Uh-huh. So we were constantly. We had a five person R and D team full time. You did with wow. Low Pro, okay. absolutely. Okay. And, and what were they doing? They were, well, it was interesting because what we did was we took input from the market. Yeah. We, um, we worked with many of the top photographers in the world in the different uh, fields, fashion, outdoor nature, portrait photography. And we said, what do you need? What would make your life easier? Okay. Traveling, transporting, uh, storing, and so on. Right. And it was interesting. All A, photographic equipment? Uh, yeah. Photographic storage protection equipment. And um, we ended up with in excess of 100 different designs. And we took the input from these guys, which A, they loved giving, by the way. Sure. People love giving their input. Sure. Okay. For the most part. And we took their input and we gave it to our, we discussed it with our R&D team, who were very talented in terms of materials and, and how to make things work together and created different prototypes that would fulfill those needs of those pro photographers. Also on the marketing side, we got their input, which means we got their buy-in. So, of course, we ended up giving them the finished product and they ended up using it. People yeah. look at them and they say, ah, I want to be like them. Sure. If I use the same equipment as them, I can take photographs like them, which is a fallacy. But right. that's how people often feel. So you use them to help market the product also? Yes, but without being manipulative. Right. Okay. Right. In other words, our motives were pretty pure, uh-huh. which gets into a whole other area mm. because I think that is, you, you know, you have to enter business, I feel, with integrity. Mm-hmm. You have to enter business with a good idea, with the idea of win, win, win. How can I get everyone to win? Because if I can get others to win, I'll be taken care of. Right. We did that with our dealers. Uva mm-hmm. and I was very deliberate. If we took care of our dealers, made sure they were profitable, by the bu- built-in business model that we had, we knew we would be taken care of. So our focus was not on ourselves. Our focus was on how can we get our dealers, our distributors to make money, then we were taken care of. But our minds were genuinely on them. Mm. So was it a selflessness? No, not completely, but it was an inclusion. And I really think that's important. There was no time that we were deliberately manipulative. There was no time that we were using people with the idea of what can we get out of this person? in a negative way mm-hmm. and I really and we slept at night and we just moved forward I mean it was just a wonderful way and interestingly we found that the universe conspired with us mm-hmm. in a very positive way because our motives were we feel quite pure mm-hmm. and just to give a framework the growth of the company started as a total startup in other words there was no um, the distributorship we had multiple levels of the company. The first one was photographic distributorship. Mm-hmm. 
So we represented other manufacturers in the photo industry. They were all higher end products. So we imported those products, did all the marketing and sales for that product, starting within Canada. Yeah. One of our manufacturers was Low Pro. So uh -huh. they were already starting, but they were mostly focusing on the outdoor business. Uh -huh. Their camera business was very, it was uh -huh. negligible. Okay. I think when we took it over, there were $800,000. So you bought them out? You bought an existing company out? Yes. We, well, it was initially that division, the low pro division, and it was under license at first. Right. And then you... And then we ultimately bought the brand, which is what you... So were. the arc of your company, you started at what amount of gross revenue and grew it over what period of time to what kind of gross revenue? Um, well, okay to say, yeah, yeah, sure. Because it's, uh, yeah, no problem. Um, Damon is a distributorship. So there were two, um, growth elements. The first one was the photographic distributorship of Canada, where we actually Uva this even before I, uh, I joined the company. Um, I think very intelligently said, okay, this is, these are the sales we need every month. To survive, because yeah. generally in the first year you can't. It's very. I think it's very rare that a company will make a killing and, and be huge. Well, see profitable. if you can just take me through the where it started and how big it grew in terms of gross revenues over what period of time, just so people can have some idea of the scale of the operation that you got involved. Okay, um, ultimately our sales were in excess of hundred million dollars per year. At the end of it. How At the long? end of it. Um, Your involvement was ten years or something. About you. Well, yeah. About about. 10 years because low pro is really the, the the pusher of that damon ended up with about 40 million in sales so you started though where where did you start oh the damon started with literally nothing maybe uh, uh just a few hundred thousand dollars okay, so you you guys grew a company from gross revenue 100 dollars a year to 100 million dollars a year in 10 years is that fair to say uh the 10 years was um, when we owned Lowpro, and that was really the kickstart. I would say it was a little bit longer than that. Okay. But roughly it was a little speaking, bit longer than that. But roughly speaking, that arc, you know, when we're talking about helping somebody create a business plan or a vision for their company, right. that's the dream arc right there. You take a company from nothing to $100 million a year. Of, of, I mean, that's not the huge, you know, I mean, we I probably can't even get interviews with the guys who are doing the billion dollar companies. Right. And I'm not that interested in them because that's beyond the scope of maybe somebody sitting out there going, well, that's going to be the, a rare, rare breed. But you took an ordinary group of people with intelligence and good heart and you grew a business from zero to $100 million a year in gross revenues. Did you ever think of it that way before? No, because I, <laughs> truthfully, um, because to me, partnership was such an integral part of that. I right. can't take personal responsibility. No, no, no so, I'm not giving you personal yeah. responsibility. But However, yes, that's what we did. You did that. Like, so, for example, I talk in the book about my involvement with New England Digital Corporation, which was the Sinclair company. We took a company that was had $200,000 a year, up to $25 million, And then it sort of crashed and burns because of technological advances that weren't sort of calibrated properly. Right. So that's another thing along the way is when, when to get out, you know, or, or when to change or mod gotcha. modulate. But I just wanted to give people the perspective that we're talking to somebody who was on that ride. Okay. You were on that train. Yes. You did see the scenery. Yes. You did, uh, you know, to figure out what kind of fuel to use. <laughs> and you got out with, um, you know, intact. Totally yeah. intact and unbruised. So I've known you yeah. a long time. We're dear friends, everybody. This is one yes. of my best friends right here. 
and uh, just one of the greatest guys on the planet. And without scathing or burning or manipulating, destroying, folding, spinning, spindling, mutilating, destroying, with a very healthy and good, clean conscience, you took a business through that arc and lived to tell about it. So I feel like, okay, you know, we're going to invite you to some of our workshops and just share it, share that journey with people. That's all we're really doing. Here. Sure. Okay. So let's go. Can we go back to the business body? Yes. Uh, so we did R and D. Let's. Yeah. You had a five man R and D team. Who who, who full time? Full time. And again, we're chosen very carefully. Okay. It was brilliance within that R and D. Choose your people carefully. Powerful. Don't don't. It's like, you know, if you're going to get your eyes done, LASIK. Don't go right. to the bargain center. You know. <laughs> Get it done from ex someone who's an expert. They're going to say, "Don't go to a barber." <laughs> <laughs> that so too. Let's go to the second leg yeah. now. So that was R and D, very clear. Now, how did that translate into the development of a product line? How did that happen? Who did that? Well, how'd you identify products from that from that R and D process? Well, we in, we we envisioned categories. So, for example, when we took the ideas from the outdoor photographers, mm -hmm. we created a line of product that were geared, oriented towards the outdoor photographer. And we were outdoor photographers ourselves. So I remember uh, we were going down the Nahani River in, in the Northwest Territories, and we were shooting rapids. And I deliberately sat at the very front of the boat mm -hmm. to get the greatest spray because I had a prototype of a new, new uh, a bag of ours. And I put the all weather cover, which is something that uh, we designed on it. And I just welcomed, I wanted to know, does this, should actually so you work. test you, you but how did you actually come up with the product line who who did that your r&d team did they suggest products or did you then go to them and say we need to formulate we need 10 new products this year yeah that was basically more we went to the r&d team and we told them what we needed so they also designed the product line absolutely okay so r&d and product design were sort of integrated in your company yes okay, yes. they weren't two separate things some companies, you know, the R&D is very abstract, you know, like in a pharmaceutical company, they're right. just playing with drugs and like rabbits and mice and things like that. And then somebody comes in and says, we need something, you know, a tranquilizer or whatever. So in your case, the product development and the R&D were synchronized or integrated. Yeah, actually, what we attempted to do was integrate everybody and everything. We wanted to integrate sales and marketing, huh. get everybody together and really create a team. Right. So, so everybody was conversing with everybody else. Everybody was conversing with everyone else. They weren't necessarily conversing all the time, but they were definitely conversing. Everybody pretty well knew who everybody else was. And, and how big? How many? How many employees did you have? At well, again, we ended up having um, uh, a distributor. We we ended up having the main company was in the USA. That was oh. Lopro headquarters international. What city? Uh, just north of uh, Santa Rosa, Guerneville, um, okay. uh, uh, Hillsburg. So Northern California. Was it incorporated in the U.S.? Was it a U.S. company? Um, it was a U.S. company, although Lopro, the, the, Lopro was a wholly owned division of Damon Photo Marketing, which was a Canadian company. I see. Okay. So Damon Photo Marketing was the parent company of, of all of it. And then we ended up owning distributorships in Canada, U.S., Germany, the U.K., and Australia. So what, what our model was, we had a product that was desired around the world. So we appointed distributors in pretty well every country around the world right. that had a market. So close to 100 countries. Well, we owned our own distributorships in those countries I just mentioned. And, and uh, you had other, a network of other distributors who were not owned by the company. That's right. Okay. That Which we chose not, very carefully. Not uncommon that 
that combination. Yeah, it's a great model. And you choose experts within those countries. So let's go to the marketing, because you yeah. just said an interesting thing, the left arm, the marketing. You said it was desired around the world. How did that happen? Well, I mean, uh, that's the, that is like almost your two thirds of the way home there. Right. Um, it was done in a number of different ways. Um, a, I go back to the fact that we had a great marketing department. Um, both my business partner and myself are, I feel, really good marketers mm -hmm. on our own. And um, Did you have a director of marketing in addition to the two of you? Um, yes, we did. Wow. Actually, it ended up being for Lopro, um, it was daughter, Nicole. It was his daughter then? It was his daughter that, that ended up being the director of marketing for Lopro. Okay. And she was great. She, she, right. she did an amazing, amazing job. Of course, that could be an interesting situation if she wasn't great, and then you're in a position where you have to go, mm. Real trouble. Yeah. Real potential for trouble. Yeah. And that is, I mean, I think, again, you have to be detached in that way right. and not believe that your, uh, uh, the family members can necessarily do the best job. Yeah. I have a whole chapter, I mean, a part of a chapter in the book about that. That's a good that's, thing. That's a really tricky area. I mean, even in our business, we, yeah. we, we often saw families be involved and we saw so clearly where their potentials were just they were they where they stagnated because they just empowered um, you know they were they had too much emotionally involved or there was mm -hmm. guilt or there was obligation involved i must not get my son and put him immediately in this position of authority sure you know people have to earn things sure. when when uva and i started you know here's here's another thing we started a company we had um one two there was when i joined the company there was four of us uh -huh. There was one guy in the warehouse, Uva, myself, and uh, one individual who did uh, typed up the invoices, wrote out the right. sales orders, and so. When a container load came in, yeah. Uva and I went into the back, rolled up our sleeves, unpacked the container right. with the guy. Okay. We packed. So this is also you guys were wearing every hat in the beginning, which is another thing I talked about. Absolutely. Now, at the biggest spread, how many employees did you have when you pass the hats out? Now, you know, different people are wearing the hats. Canada, we had about 40 employees in the United States. I would say, I'm, I'm guessing now, because I don't really know, I'm guessing about 100. Yes, that's a significant operation. That's a lot of people to take care of and think about. And in each individual country, right. which includes in those 100, mm -hmm. we had, we, we appointed incredibly competent individuals who could mm -hmm. manage their business in a complete, in a complete way. Okay, so that's going to be admin. Let's go, let's yeah. go back to so, marketing. So back to marketing. Um, so we marketed things. I mean, you have to remember at the beginning of a business, you don't have that much necessarily. You don't have that much of a budget. We didn't have much budget for marketing. I remember our first ads were one third page black and white ads. In what kind of? In, in photographic publications. Magazine? Photographic publications. Right. We couldn't afford anymore. So we thought, okay, how do we get, how do we go about this cleverly? And I really believe that that's a mantra that you can keep throughout your business. How do we go about this cleverly? I believe a, uh, um, an element of success I know for myself, I've always looked at things and somehow I reflect back and I've just somehow gone about it a different way. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we thought, okay, um, third-party endorsements, yeah. it, it's, a lot, I th it's a lot stronger from a marketing standpoint if you can have someone else say, hey, this product is great, than mm -hmm. you saying our product is great. Mm -hmm. So... We ended up finding people who had great stories about Lopro. Mm -hmm. And in this one third page black and white, we had a heading, Lopro saved my life. Mm -hmm. And this guy told a story about how he was stuck on the top of a mountain and it was freezing cold. And he took all the 
in all the parts out of his Lopro bag, stuck it over his head to maintain warmth. And that saved his life. He woke up in the morning and, and, you know, and the story was engaging and clever. He said he woke up in the morning and all he saw was blue and he thought he'd gone to heaven. He thought he died. Uh -huh. But in reality, the insides of the bag were blue and there's a sun coming through. Uh -huh. So we, we had a series of these. So and these were video ads? No, no, no. These were, ads. we're talking way back. These were black and white, one third page, black and white written ads. Telling that story. Telling that story. Which was a fictional story? or No, no. These were all this true. This actually happens. I mean, you saved their life with your bag. In this one case. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so, so Pete, that's a funny joke in this one case. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, they were all true. And we, yeah. we, we, of course, got a very catchy headline. Yeah. You have one third page ad. How are you going to get someone's attention? Yeah. A, we, we, we asked the, uh, um, the magazines, ah, are we okay if we're on the right hand side of the page? Because that's where the eye naturally yeah. drifts to. Um, things have changed now because so much is done online. So right. you have to understand where does the eye drift to naturally when a page opens up? Mm -hmm. Where does it go? Does it go to the top? Right. So, um, so that's how we started out marketing. Super, super budget. Right. Um, and then we just continue to grow, grow, grow from there until ultimately uh, on day, the Day in the Life group. There was an organization called Day in the Life. They did Day in the Life of Australia, Day in the Life of Canada, and so on. So Low Pro became a major sponsor. 100 of the world's best, most famous photojournalists and photographers came to, in this case, Toronto, then they were sent to all the cities across the country. And in a 24-hour day period, they photographed day-to-day -day life. Day in the life of Canada. Mm -hmm. So I thought, let's give each of those guys a low pro bag. Mm -hmm. So we gathered them all at Toronto City Hall, drove up this mammoth van, stacked with low pro bags. They all lined up. Of course, we had a photographer and we had it videoed. And... These guys were like kids and we were like, they want this color and that color and so on. We made it a really fun event. And then there was a photograph, of course, in all the books of all the photographers. So we asked them, do you mind if we do the photograph or everyone's holding their low pro bag? No, great idea. So everyone's holding up their low pro bag and the photograph of the group was taken. This and, was and you didn't have to pay them. No, this was certainly. But you had to give more. them free, free uh, swag, right? <laughs> Yeah, how many, what, $10,000 for this mm -hmm. type of marketing? Mm -hmm. It was fabulous. Okay. And these guys, and we made it fun. Mm -hmm. So these guys are, you know, they have a story to tell as well. Um, very inexpensive marketing, but we were, you know, clever about it. And we just grew, 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 grew with that, ultimately culminating in a brilliant um, written uh, brochure mm -hmm. where each page was dedicated to a particular photographer, mm -hmm. where there was one of his photographs featured, mm -hmm. win for him, marketing for him, highlighting, showcasing his brilliant photography right. or her brilliant photography, a little portrait of the person, and then they tell their story and how they use Low Pro in their day-to-day -day lives. Right. And this was, I forget, I think we got up to 48 pages. Nicole handled most of this. But again, it was absolutely These are all brilliant. people who you're sort of lower down the totem pole photographer. They look up to these people. That's right. These are their heroes. So that my That's you, right. I'll have what he's having. Exactly. Back. I'll have what she's having. If he or she is using right. it, God, it must be good. So, and you got that for free. We got that for free. You got for endorsements for bag free, basically. For a bag. Hmm? You got free endorsements from your high-end uh, clientele for free. Right. For a bag. Right. For swag. Right. So that's that's powerful. All right. So I'm just going to keep us just because sure. our time is, but that's, you really light up when you talk about marketing. It's interesting. Uh, marketing like, is my main. You like that. Yeah, it's my main. Yeah. Love. That's a big thing. Now, going over to the other arm, which is sales. Marketing is yeah. one arm. Sales is the other. Right. Um. Let's, A, 
talk about the connection between marketing and sales, but also the differentiation of the of, of the of the role that they play okay. in, in your company's success. Okay. okay. So um, there has to be very um, strong communication, I feel, between sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. You had right. a whole you, separate sales department, right? Separate sales department. Right. They're the people that are out in the field beating the bushes. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are interacting on an ongoing basis with uh, with the cu with customers or dealers in this particular case, right. distributors. The marketing side, marketing side has to have feedback. First of all, when they put something out, how was it received? Mm -hmm. Was it a bomb or was it successful? And, and sales guys give uh, and, and and ladies give them that feedback. Um, the sales department, of course, gave them that feedback. We made sure there was communication, mm -hmm. and also sales. Again, a very strong thing. Sales would go to the dealers, the distributors, and say, this is how we are helping you market our product. Mm -hmm. So we went to all of our distributors around right. the world. We went to our dealers in the individual countries. We said, here, here's a bunch of tools. So you don't have to do all that much. You don't mm -hmm. have to create mm -hmm. these yourselves. Here's a bunch of options and tools that you can then use for advertising, in-store marketing, right. so on and so forth. And that's one of the keys. Give people point of sales. If you're, if you're doing, doing in-store, brick right. and mortar. People walk in, they immediately, if they're looking for a camera bag in this case, or one of your, uh, a product that you carry, when they go over that to that side, make sure you stand out in some way. Merchandising, real key. Mm -hmm. So we taught our people merchandising. We mm -hmm. taught, um, we taught, we shared as much as we had come to learn with, with everybody. So mm -hmm. back to sales and marketing. We made sure that the salespeople we chose were honest, straightforward, and smart. Wow. We didn't want any shysters. We had no interest in them because it, your salespeople are a direct reflection on mm -hmm, your company. Mm -hmm. So make sure you choose wisely. And they're the front leading edge of Absolutely. a lot of people's exposure to the company is coming through that. Totally. A lot of people right. think sales is a dirty word. It's not. Mm -hmm. if, if people approach sales, as I say, with integrity and honesty and with smarts, it's great. Everybody feels good. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, I did that bucked a trend was because I went out and I, I sold to all the major dealers, mm -hmm. all the salespeople always wore shirts and ties and jackets and ties in the photo industry. I didn't like wearing a shirt and tie, so <laughs> I didn't. I drove, drove nicely. And I also thought, you know what, a guy with a shirt and tie walks into a dealership, he immediately says, they want to sell me something. It, it, it separates you from the guys behind the counter and the mm -hmm. buyer. They're not mm -hmm. wearing shirts and ties necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I went in and I, I feel that I became a bit more relatable Mm -hmm. to their level. I mm -hmm. also didn't keep, create a separation between myself and them, mm -hmm. which is another thing with sales and marketing is how is this going to be received? You have to, I feel, take a step back from yourself. And when you see a marketing piece or you're presenting something, how are people going to see this? Look at it objectively. How is this going to be received? Mm -hmm. Are they, you know, um, and I think that's a tremendous tool that I think it's what makes a good market. One of the elements makes a good market. Okay. Now talk a little more about salespeople. What are they like? You said you want the, the, there's a couple of different varieties. Some are not so honest and not so, um, you know, kind of yeah. clean, but you liked honest, integrity and smart, you said. And excited about the product excited about the product so but what else what are the qualities there's something in my experience differentiates salespeople from everybody else on the planet there's something unique about sales they like to close that's everybody you know, likes to talk in sales real sales people like to close and they'll stop talking absolutely yeah. and there are so many sales people that go out that are great at 
displaying product, getting people excited, but they don't know how to ask for the sale. Right. They don't know how to close a sale. Yeah. And you can do it in the most graceful of ways. Yeah. And um, so, yes, integrity, smarts, honesty, um, they have to look presentable. Right. And um, and they have to know how to ask for the, for the but sale. But is there a little bit of a killer instinct in that kind of person? Like, would they make a good assassin? They'd probably make a great assassin. <laughs> good analogy. Good analogy. Because the ultimate goal yeah. is you're, you're walking in. You're, you you want to come out with being successful. The meat. You want to come out with the meat. you yeah. got to come out with the meat. And if you have a product mm -hmm. and if you have backup, Mm -hmm. that you know can help that person can succeed with right. you got to sell that person on the vision yeah. sell that person ha envision them being successful right. with what you have to offer right. so um you know i interviewed my friend dave elner who was the cfo of universal U music mm -hmm. you know in motown and so you know high also high level business skills black belt and then some he said selling starts when the person says no that's what he said sales starts when they say no because if they say yes obviously it's like you know kind of layup go you have any comment on that um perhaps in music it's 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 very black and white mm -hmm. um but i think in so many other parts of life and so much other product uh it's not as black and white mm -hmm. um if, for example, a good salesperson will recognize that that no is truly no for right. I, 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 I would I would have an adjunct. I would mm -hmm. say no is perhaps no for right now. Yeah. Or yeah. They, they think no. Or think no. Yeah. But, of course, if someone says no, uh, be curious. Tell me, please share that with me. Why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you find out so much more about that individual, what right. their objections may be, and where they're coming from. Right. Because sales, the key with sales is, relating to the individual you're selling to. Right. You have to be this chameleon. You have to be this adaptable individual who looks and says, okay, how do I communicate with this person? Yeah. I ended up dealing with the most redneck people to the most long-haired hippies to the most egotistical, closed-minded people. I didn't care. I just saw them as individuals, uh -huh. as people. And I said, what is this person about? And how can I relate to them so we're on the same wavelength? Right. And you were convinced or a good salesperson has to be convinced that the person actually needs what, what you're offering. Although there's some cynicism in it, which I want to flesh through with you a little sure. bit. And I'll give you an example of it, okay? When you manage a health club, using that as an example, uh -huh. you know, a fitness club, you know this probably, uh, and probably a lot of people know this, in January, they make a huge marketing push and sales push sure, to sign people up for a year-long Program right. because they just got it through Christmas. Thanksgiving, yeah. Christmas. They're fat, right. they're, they're sleepy, yeah. and they're disgusted with themselves, <laughs> even though they just had a really yeah. nice time. Now they're um, uh, ready to make change. Mm -hmm. And you, in a way, are... are, are uh, Are you helping facilitate that change? Well, no. That's no? not what I'm saying. It's cynical. Okay. You know they're not going to change. But you know you can sell them the idea of change, and that you'll be selling to them next January too. Well, that's, so there's that element to it, you know, where it's like, um, are you, you know, I know it's much better to sell somebody something and they're going to use it. But talk about that so, a little so, bit. So, so yeah. it's interesting. I would never approach that in that way yeah. if that element would not would not occur to me naturally. Wow. Okay. Maybe I just don't think I would. 
I would be optimistic and right. I would really try and sell the individuals right. and encourage them, make the change now. In fact, I would probably suggest to them, I don't want to sell you again next January. I want to sell you now. And I want you to actually make a difference within yourself now. So I don't, I think it's cynical to more think I'll sell them now, but I know they're not going to use it. So to me, that's I'm not quite dishonest, but it's not totally <laughs> filled with integrity. It, it's, yeah, it's just worth exploring a little bit because, um, you know, the job of a salesperson is to accumulate numbers. And the company without those numbers sags and goes out of business. So it's just like, you know, you, if, if, if you think of teeth, yeah. you know, and different roles, different teeth yeah. play, like the salesperson would be the incisors, you know, they got to get, they got to penetrate in and bite into it. And so I've just found that the great salespeople, you know, have a little bit of a edge in that way of like, um, not not so much. I want you to not go to the gym all year. Mm -hmm. I don't care whether you go or not, though. Mm -hmm. I, my job is to sell you this membership. So I'm more cynical than right. you are. In okay. Right? So the yeah. other thing is, it can also backfire on you. Not as much okay. the gym membership, yeah. but if you're going, you're, you're selling product. Right. If you sell that dealer, that that distributor, too much product, right. although immediately now your sales look great. Right. That dealer, one, two, three, four, five months down the road, is not seeing the turns that he or she needs. Right. They think of you right. and they think, ah, they loaded me up. Okay. They did not look at my business right. and give me proper advice. Okay. So I would, I think it's almost smarter to not undersell, but to really realistically say, what can this dealer, what can this individual sell? What right. can this individual use? Right. And then tailor it to that. Right. Well, that's another chapter in the book says never negotiate against yourself, which is advice I got early in my career. Ah. Never negotiate against yourself let the other person do that uh-huh so um anyhow that's uh, your integrity level is very high are you aware of that compared to like a lot of people who engage in sort of business operations don't think about it much but yeah. if you say so i'm i'm taking note of it but i'm also seeing oh you know it was very successful at yeah the time. so that's a, i do have a chapter that says integrity is totally the way to go don't lie don't cheat don't steal don't manipulate it, right. it will, in the end it will not serve karma yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, so talk about karma a little bit. I am a firm believer in a karma in life, but karma in business. Okay. That whatever energy frequency you put out will right. come back to you in some form or another. Okay. So if you go with an intention of being anything but filled with integrity and honesty, A, people are a lot smarter than you generally give them credit for. Okay. So a lot of people will see through what you're doing. If they don't see through immediately because you're a good actor salesperson mm -hmm. they may reflect upon it an hour two hours right. a day later and come to this to the conclusion whoa and then all of a sudden you don't have that individual's trust yeah and then you've lost it for the future or in the next lifetime <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but karma i yeah. you see and yeah. again i really i saw the they don't teach karma in business school by the way do they not this, that i know this of. kind of principle is probably, we never attended business school i know neither, neither of us did you know? yeah um, my partner, I don't even think he finished high school. I wonder what they do teach about this particular kind of aspect, though, with uh, the integrity aspect of business. If you get an MBA, do you, is there a class in integrity, uh, in spiritual development? I <laughs> would place my bets no. Although there might be, uh, you know, an advanced school yeah, somewhere that, yeah. that does. But I am a firm believer because I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in business that the universe um, will 
co-conspire with you in a very positive way. It'll help you in all the ways that you need to be helped if you go about things in a honest, straightforward and clever manner and Mm -hmm. and and be prepared to work hard. If you're going to enter business with, I don't want to really work hard. I want this to come really easily. Well, you're setting up a lot of obstacles. We have individual karma. I know my karma. My karma is not to invest in the stock market and make a fortune. I know that. Not to do that. Not to do that. My karma is to be in partnership. A, it's a lot more fun, but I've also recognized the the solo business I had was uh, tennis, really. Uh And um, and everything else is pretty well in partnership because that's, I get the greatest buzz out of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and fortunately have had partners, chosen partners, who've chosen me, we've chosen each other, um, where we have ultimate respect for the integrity of the other. Mm-hmm. And we know we'll go about business in, in the same way. So I believe that, it, that, that the universe will help you so much mm-hmm. if you are honest and s- you've got to be smart about it all. And if you go about things in an honest, clever, straightforward way. Well, that's, um, I mean, obviously the thread of the book is to try to integrate these strands that, and the basic premise of the book is that they've separated ways. The spiritual, sacred world has gone off in one direction. The kind of materialistic world and kind of practical and kind of uh, survival world has gone off in another direction. So because of the way I studied, my Buddhist studies didn't emphasize that, oh, just leave that world behind and become pure spiritually. So the whole book is about trying to integrate it, which is your whole point of view is completely um, synchronous with with the point of view of that that we're trying to emphasize. You're a living example of somebody who wouldn't be happy, actually, if you had 10 times the money and one-tenth the integrity. No. And there are plenty of people around who would be happy if they had 10 times the money and one-tenth the integrity. They're running the damn world right now. Right. Yes. Those people are running this particular planet right now. We've got to take it back. That's yeah. my view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm right with you, and I, I think that I think spirituality is a really key, having a spiritual practice. I think is a key element mm-hmm. to uh, to being successful in business, and I think it, it's successful because particularly meditation. Mm. The meditation takes you to places within yourself that you just I, I feel can't access other than through meditation, through mm-hmm. sitting, through just quietening yourself, mm-hmm. actually sitting down and shutting up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the realizations of things, I mean, I'll sit and meditate and some situation will just all of a sudden become totally clear. Mm -hmm. I don't sit and contemplate on a business situation, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's there, it's hovering Mm -hmm. and it's been, it's been watered and I'll be sitting in meditation often. All of a sudden the idea won't necessarily formulate in words, but just visually and conceptually, the idea will, will, um, present itself. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. And I avoid the temptation for myself of writing it down. And it, but it sticks. It really sticks. So I think with a spiritual practice, so you have so much more at your disposal to allow you to integrate it all. Yeah. And I think integration is, is really key. And it also makes you a more interesting person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was blown away by how many people in the business world actually have a spiritual strain to them. <clears throat> it totally blew my mind. Uh-huh. Totally blew my mind. And, and, and you know, see, they see their work as part of their practice or whatever you want to call it. There. Many of them do. Mm-hmm. Many people do. But a lot of people are just spiritual in nature. By nature. And they don't even know it. 
Mm. They don't identify it or, or mm. as, as spirituality, yeah. but they're hugely spiritual. I remember my mm. teacher, we were um, uh, Swami Chinmayananda, we were in Kerala on a train and we were just zipping around and there were fields that farmers, and I was blown away by how perfectly straight their crops were and just organized. And I said to him, I said, you know, Guru Dev, this, look at that. He said, they know it. They just don't know how to express it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people that so they understand the principles, but they're not necessarily somebody eloquent in expressing right. verbally. Right. But they express it in every the way. The wisdom is lives. already there. Pardon me. The wisdom is already there. Yes. Yes. Mm. Now, so there's um, uh, one final piece. Well, actually, it's one and a half. Um, so the brain, the, as as the uh, admin aspect. How do you pull all that together? You've done a great job. You talked about the R&D in your company. You talked about the product development. You talked eloquently and spiritedly about the marketing and being very creative and using what resources you have as it grows, using the end user as a kind of um, supporter and enabler right. of the marketing effort. You talked pretty pretty clearly about sales aspect. We already covered the heart. You, know, you need to have an idea. You need to have a sense of where you're launching from and and, and that you're, you're aware of the needs of others and serving others. So then we come in this uh, business body model. The last uh, piece of it is is the head or the, um, you know, I think the head is a good analogy. That synchronizes, coordinates the whole thing. Yeah. And the companies, as they grow, talking about wearing different hats, all of a sudden you find, wow, this company is bigger than I thought it was going to get to be. I need somebody who knows how to run it. Yes. A $10 million a year company. Yes. I don't necessarily have those chops. Right. Or I need to learn them quick. And I've seen a lot of people flounder at exactly this moment. Right? Business is just crap out. Yeah. Know your limitations. Know what you're mm -hmm. capable of and know what you're not capable right. of, incapable of. Hopefully, if you go into partnership, you'll have a partnership where all of the strengths are covered. Right. But insofar as administration, you know, it's like at every level, hire great people. Hire so you totally might have to hire a COO at that point? Yes. Is that possible? You Did you guys have to hire a COO? We had a, yes, we got to a point where we had to hire a COO because we couldn't just do it all ourselves. Boom. Okay, so that's chief operating officer for yes. everybody as opposed to CEO, chief executive officer, who's more of a yeah. mind protector of the whole thing. And when you hire a COO, recognize that that individual will do things the way they do it. Hopefully <laughs> you're hiring them because they buy into your basic principles, right. but their methodology may be different from yours. Wow. Don't impose yours upon mm. them. You know, interview, have good interviews, one, two, three, particularly for a, a one that level yeah. um, of position and get all your questions answered and look at them realistically and say, can this individual carry through what those responsibilities will be with the level of integrity da, 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 that, that we have and allow them, empower them to do it? This is an extremely powerful moment in the growth of a company. Yes. For what I've seen, small, middle and large companies where you're passing. And I use the example of the record uh, industry, which was, excuse me, entrepreneurially driven by very creative people for while it boomed in the you know 60s and 70s and then people who knew how to run a larger company took over lawyers accountants cfo type of people and they got heavily involved with this sort of uh, r d and they got involved with the sort of sales and marketing and because they had power in the company but they weren't necessarily the best people to do to do to do that so it's and the company can either lose its heart at that point yeah or it can actually lose the game because, uh, yeah. you know, because all of a sudden the heart, the head and the heart are, as you said earlier, not integrated yeah. anymore. Yeah. So um, 
But what skills does that person need to have, the COO type person? They, they need, need to be good at. They need to, to be able to see the entire picture. Uh -huh. They need to be able to, and, and recognize that every part of the wheel, every spoke in the wheel is ultimately as important as the other. So the individual in the warehouse who's receiving and packing and shipping, their ability is as important as the person on the road selling, um, doing the marketing, or the person who's looking after the books. So they need to see the big picture and the importance of this, every part of it. Every part of it has to function fluidly. Because if it doesn't, you're going to have to direct attention to that area because the nature of business is issues. Mm -hmm. Issues arise in the world of business. Right. So you want to set up a situation, an environment where there are the least number of issues that will be that, that right. will arise. So the COO needs to see the overall picture. They need to be realistic in terms of individual strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. and not take individuals that are good in one particular area mm -hmm. and elevate them to a point where they will fail. Right. Just because they call the Peter Principle or something? Yeah. I'm not too sure. You you promote people to the level at which they start to Peter, fail. Right. That's I, right. I don't know if that's a Peter some principle. Yeah, I, I think it is Peter Principle. And I and I think that the most common mistake is someone who's great at sales, you make a sales manager. Uh -huh. But they may not necessarily be a good manager right. of other people. Right. And that is a really common mistake yeah. in in business. So a COO has to have an understanding of numbers. Yeah. A CEO has to have also, um, I think, a pretty good instinct and be a good mm -hmm. reader of people. Mm -hmm. And they have to be a strong communicator. Mm -hmm. I think being strong communicators at every level is key as well. Mm -hmm. um, and also they have to be one that will encourage people to speak their minds. Now, what about their relationship to the owners of the company, the, the original entrepreneurs? Because that could get tense, right? It could get tense if the COO has aspirations beyond what you've hired them for. And wouldn't they, uh, somebody who has that portrait of capabilities, that portfolio of capabilities, often be somebody who could look ahead and go like, ah, look at all what could I'm contributing here, I should be sort of- Absolutely. So as an owner, right. you may want to say, ha, huh, I want to take care of this person. Yeah. So either profit sharing, yeah. either um, uh, you know, make that person a minor partner. And again, mm -hmm. it gets into the partnership agreement right. you know, where mm -hmm. you can make someone a partner, right. but they don't really have any say in the direction and guidance mm -hmm. of the company, mm -hmm. but they're a partner. Um, and I really believe that, and that's the other thing, is when you hire good people, reward them. When we brought mm -hmm. people in mm -hmm. and we were about to hire them, we said, what do you need mm -hmm. financially, money? What do you need? Not necessarily what do you want. We don't want you to be worried about putting enough food on the table. How are you going to pay your rent or mortgage? We want you to have your focus on the business. Mm -hmm. So what do you need? Mm -hmm. And we had a pretty good idea what was realistic and not. So we asked them. They gave their input. And inevitably, we would fulfill that. Yeah. So they could just focus on business. So yeah, I think a COO um, uh, should be a, I think should be a good reader of people. I think a COO has to have, again, financial. And back to your idea about the relationship constantly be communicating with your COO. Mm -hmm. Pick their brain. Mm -hmm. What are they seeing? What right. are they? Give them the credit that they deserve. Yeah. Don't butter them if they don't deserve it and don't give them an overvalued sense of self, yeah. but communicate with them on a regular basis. Yeah. Uva and I used to sit down every morning for half an hour. We just said, and we just talked to each other, we just communicate everything that went on during our day. Yeah. You can't necessarily do that with COO, yeah. but once a week, 
you know, just and have and just have them talk to you. Yeah. Open, don't be afraid of anything. Open door policy, mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. And finally, the ears are just a brief uh, customer service right. since we did include that in the description. Yeah. Um, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, genuinely listen. Uh -huh. Genuinely listen without filters mm -hmm. um, and hear what people have to say. Right. Don't hear what you want to, <laughs> you know, pick out from it. If someone is saying, hey, this really isn't working for me. Your product, your customer service, your salesperson isn't working. Don't get defensive. Listen, people want to be heard. And when people feel that they are heard in all aspects of life, um, you know, they feel um, uh, they feel not justified, but they feel. They made a good commitment. Yeah, you're making a good commitment to them by. by no, by they're making they can commit to you, to the product. They can they'll buy your next iteration. Yes. Yeah, yeah. because most so many companies don't listen. Right. They just feel they know everything. Yeah. And they're just kind of hell bent on moving forward regardless. Sure. It'll ultimately, I feel karma, it'll come back to you. Ultimately, it'll come back to you. So, this is great, Michael. And, uh, you know, just to, to walk through these um, metaphors, you know, with somebody who's actually been walked through them in the non metaphoric realm of actualization of these principles and to, to pick your brain on that. I, I know a lot of people would find this, um, you know, very, very helpful. And in fact, let's imagine, for example, that you had had access to this kind of conversation with somebody like you when you were starting out and you were listening to this podcast. What would you say to somebody like that? And sort of like to sum it up to kind of like a few pithy kind of, um, it doesn't have to be one liner, but like, you know, summing up your experience for somebody who is like, I, when I wrote the book, I said, I'm trying to save you decades of your time. Right. Uh, by examining and understanding my mistakes. And, you know, maybe it's specious because maybe people have to make their own mistakes anyhow, but I always go to masters when I want to learn something. Yeah. That's my way. Oh, you can do Tai Chi? Right. You know how to do it. You can play tennis? So why am I going to, like, just go out and reinvent the wheel, you know? So do you have any kind of, um, you know, famous last words? <laughs> and you can just rap on it you can you can just uh, take the shot you're on your deathbed now <laughs> right <laughs> i wish i wouldn't have spent as much time at the office um i i <laughs> that's by the way that you're not actually saying that no i'm not okay no no um i would say Get your ego out of the way. <laughs> I really would. I have found where my ego has totally led me down this garden path. Fortunately, I've had others around me yeah. or I've recognized myself that I was so off base mm -hmm. and I dropped it. I didn't mm -hmm. punish myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I tried to not take it personally right. and just look at it as okay. And move forward. So don't feed the monkey, but don't beat the monkey either. Good Lord, don't. I remember Don <laughs> yeah, Miguel Ruiz, a, a ah. brilliant teacher, said uh, said once. Who wrote the four, four agreements? Which is, by the way, those four are like total pith instructions. Would you agree? Absolutely. I, I, I can use change them all your life. Time. I use them all the time. Yeah. But I keep going back to them. Yeah. Because yeah. as you change, you keep finding deeper and deeper yeah. meaning in them. But as he said, he said, if you make a mistake, recognize it. 
but don't keep beating yourself up. Mm -hmm. Don't beat yourself up more than once. Mm -hmm. Total waste of energy and time. So, um, you know, I would, I would honestly, I would say whatever it is you enter into, make sure it's something you can have fun at. Mm -hmm. Make sure it's something you're passionate about. Mm Because if you're passionate about it and you Mm -hmm. have fun, those around you, it it is contagious. And the individuals that work with you will also have fun. Yeah. Let people have fun. Let them have freedom. Let them, you know, obviously within limits, but let them grow as individuals, empower them. And, um, and don't think that you necessarily know everything. Mm. That's ego. Mm. Because you don't. And uh, you can have great ideas and you can know many things, but I don't know of anyone unless they're an enlightened master that really knows everything they they might know that they don't know everything that's brilliant i i know my limitations i when i was doing business david yeah. i uh, knew my limitations in every element yeah. of business i know my limitations with respect to this right. i'm 50 percent owner of a, a, a an audio distributor in canada right now yeah and i know where i am best to contribute right. and i know what i shouldn't be contributing right right so you're comfortable with yourself in a, in, in a kind of way that maybe some people are still struggling with finding their relationship to these kind of things we're talking about. Um, but those those are really, uh, it's interesting, you came back at the end of this whole conversation after really going, exploring business principles, which is one of the things, these are principles, not rules that you, yeah. you, you learn about. And at the end of the day, you came back to a kind of, what I'm going to call a dharmic point of view or a kind of essentially spiritual point of view, which is ego is not your amigo. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after all of that, you know, and then you look around for other people who are pumping themselves up with helium to to conquer the world through their, and and, and through their business thing. Your spiritual practice and your approach to business are, are totally integrated, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. And I think the timing of your book is perfect. Mm. When you told me the, 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 the approach to your book or the mm. name of your book, I just thought, man, this is perfect. Just mm. what the world needs. Because mm. making a buck is not a dirty word. Mm. And again, I revert back to something my, my teacher said, a pith, 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 a pith that he gave me. Essence instruction. Yeah. He said, um, there's nothing wrong with making money. Spread it around. Mm. I thought, ah, Yes. Don't hoard a thing for yourself. Mm. Use the money in a constructive way. Mm. Take what you need and share the rest. Mm -hmm. You don't have to uh, destroy your foundation of Mm -hmm. security, Mm -hmm. but don't hoard. Right. You know, share it. Keep it in motion. Keep it in movement. Invest in things. Invest in in, in others. Have charities. I think giving is is really, tithing is such a great idea, concept, fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just give it out and yeah. uh, share it. Um, and that in itself results in karma. Don't do it for the sake of, I'm going to give this so I will get back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just just do it for the sake of doing it. Have it sure. truly. If it's an integral part of who you are, it works. Right. It really works. Right. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Michael Maisel, for uh, joining the podcast. And, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll be hearing more from you as a, as the project evolves, because part of the hope is that uh, over time that we can get people who are a little bit more on the aspiration curve of all these areas together with some people who have, you know, developed some experience and some wisdom uh, to to create like a kind of chain of of wisdom going forward. And um, it it was just really, really helpful and instructive. Um, 
to hear you talk about it. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you, David. Um, I, I, I really think you're doing extraordinary work in this world and your selflessness in, off, in helping others really continues to blow my mind. Mm. And uh, so thank you for the opportunity. I hope some of it was, you know, was of use. There's, as always, so much more to say. Yeah. And there's just one more thing I want to add, and that is, you know, through spirituality, through spiritual pursuit, I think I've come to recognize, um, is I think I touched upon this earlier, what I am and what I'm not. Mm. And I think that if, I, if my ego got away with things and I thought that I had much greater abilities than I do have, I think that I could have sabotaged a lot. Mm. So again, with my partners, I recognize their strength, my strength, and just maintain those boundaries without ego getting involved. Mm -hmm. We had a quote in the book from Oscar Wilde about authenticity. And he said, you might as well be yourself because everyone else is already taken. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. So true. Thanks, David. <laughs>